your treasures in it. Help me to be faithful to, to preaching your gospel. And I pray that you would um, just, uh, just give me wisdom and, and, uh, um, and, and speak through me. Pray that um, as folks are here today, that they would hear from you and that, that your spirit would uh, just move in their hearts, that folks would come to know you more uh, through hearing the word today. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I have uh, a book at home. Um, it is uh, sitting in, in my bathroom, so you know I read it regularly. Uh, it is a... Uh, it is a guide to making people believe that you are a genius. Um, and, and so there's my secret. <laughs> um, the, the cool thing about this book, it is not, uh, it, it doesn't make you smarter. It doesn't like make you particularly well-informed. It's got just enough information about any subject so that you can converse freely about it. And a guide for how to talk about things when you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. Um, and, and so like literature and physics and history and you name it, it is just enough information. And like I think I, it's been a little while actually since I've read it because I've already got it nailed. Um, it, it's even got buzzwords to say. You know, so you drop the right words, and it makes it seems like you you have a deep understanding of the vocabulary and the nuances of any subject. And in reality, it's fake, right? Like, you you having read this book can pretend to be something that you are not, so that you can impress other people and maybe convince yourself. I, I know folks, um, I've met folks over the years who are uh, quite adept at convincing themselves that they know what they're talking about, and they just don't. Um, and nobody point at me because <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so this week, what we're talking about, we're, we're in our Christmas series and what we're going to be looking at today is Isaiah nine. And, and what I really want to talk about is I want to talk about joy. Um, and I'm not wearing a Dairy Queen shirt today, so I won't be able to go that route. Um, but we're going to talk about, um, about joy. And, and a lot of times as we approach Christmas, people get it in their head that they've got to have this joyful attitude and they've got to get their spirit in the right place and they've got to feel it exactly right. And there's like, it's this thing our culture kind of encourages where you kind of ramp yourself up into this emotional state where you have the, the Christmas spirit. And, like, you just feel the moment, like, the gifts are right and the music's perfect and everything is, you know, and you, you're supposed to feel a certain way. And, and I would argue, and I think Isaiah 9 does an amazing job of demonstrating this, that, that if you are finding all of this joy in, like, the singing and um, the gift buying and giving and the baking and the tree decorating and, and saying Merry Christmas at every opportunity and maybe driving your neighbors a little insane and, and, and almost doing the Clark Griswold Christmas, you know, where you, it's got to be so over the top and perfect or it doesn't feel right and you're unhappy and you have to yell at your family. Um, it's empty in the end. It's fake. Um, like you can put all of this effort in and end up with like a fake version of joy that's just this emotionalism. Um, and as we know from previous sermons, uh, joy is not an emotion. Joy is a state of being. Um, it is a state of being that defies your situation. It defies your experience. It defies um, how bad your day has been or how good your day has been. It just is. Um, and so as we dive into chapter 9 of Isaiah, 
Um, we're going to look at what genuine joy like that's supposed to come with this season is. And, and there's a lot of background. We're doing the gospel according to Christmas. And here, real quick, is my primer. Um, the gospel is the truth that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That like we are all sinners, that we have all rebelled against God, that we are all in a fallen state, and that um, because God came down and obeyed the laws we could not obey and took punishment in our place, that we are saved because he is punished and we're forgiven. And all we have to do is believe in Christ, confess him with our mouth, believe in our hearts, follow him, we are saved. It is a free, free gift from God. And this is the central message of the entire scriptures. Like, God's son died for you. You are saved if you have faith. That is it. And so we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is celebrating that God came to start this process on earth intensely in the moment. But we can get lost in that, right? I mean, it is super easy to get lost. Anybody else dumb enough to go out on Black Friday? <laughs> and... and you know, like, there's so much stuff to buy, and there's all this music playing, and, like, everywhere you go, they have eggnog, right? <laughs> and, like, they, all of this, this Christmas junk, and it's so easy to lose it. And so what we're doing for this series is we're looking at what is the gospel and what does it have to do with Christmas? Why does it matter? Um, there's another central idea here before we kind of move forward in, and that is that um, throughout the scriptures, and we talked about this a bit last week, there's this scarlet thread, like the story of Jesus begins in Genesis, and Jesus is present throughout the scriptures all the way until his coming. And you can find little bits and pieces of the gospel story throughout the Bible. I mean, there are people who will say, oh, well, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, they're different. They're not. In reality, it is all the same. And if you read it with the understanding that the Old Testament was always pointing towards Christ coming, you understand they're not different. Like, it is the same God, the same personality, but we're understanding him from a different perspective. And so, in Isaiah, we see a lot of Jesus. Isaiah is like the first big prophet to kind of lay down the knowledge, as the young people might say. Um, I, that was awful, wasn't it? it was, <laughs> no malarkey. Um, so, like, this is the, the huge amount of... Um, um, prophecy about Christ appears in Isaiah. And, and so, like, as we're getting into this, like, understand this is a big, major, like, overt as you read it. I remember reading Isaiah as a brand-new Christian. I was 13, so it was, like, 80 years ago. Um, and, and I remember reading Isaiah, and I would be reading, and I don't understand any of it. You know what I mean? Um, now I do because I'm a genius. But, but I'd be reading... And all of a sudden, you come across a passage, and you'd be like, oh, my gosh, this is about Jesus. And it wasn't until like a decade later I found out that it was about Jesus, but it was written 700 years before he was born, which is really impressive. Um, and so, like, Isaiah talks about Christ before Christ shows up, but he is speaking to a specific set of situations. And here's what's going on. Israel, this is towards the end of Israel, you have Israel. We all know that part of the country, or the world, right, that little, like, sort of armpit of the Mediterranean. Um, and it was um, originally 12 tribes, and those 12 tribes had split. They had had a civil war. Not a civil war. They had had a divorce. Not a civil war. There was no fighting. They just, the guys in the north said, all right, later, and they separated. And so you had 10 of the tribes that went north, and Judah um, that stayed in the south, because where else were they going to go? Um, and so they were two nations, Israel and Judah. 
And at this point in time, Judah is having trouble because um, Judah is dealing with their neighbors to the north, and they keep fighting wars. Um, they keep like fighting back and forth, and Israel or Judah is very concerned about their future. And there were some guys that came along, the Assyrians. Now, straight up, the Assyrians are always the bad guy. Okay, like so when you read the Bible and you see the Assyrians referenced, they are the bad guys. They are like Stalin. Okay, yeah, we'll make you our allies by absorbing you. And that's what they did. They made treaties with people and they just basically took them over. <laughs> like charged exorbitant taxes or just dragged everyone away as slaves, which is what happened to the northern kingdom. And so Assyria comes along and the king of Judah is considering it and he's saying, well... Maybe I should make a contract with these Assyrian guys to help me against the northern kingdom. Maybe this will work out. And Isaiah, like God sends Isaiah to the king, and he says, listen, you would be a fool to make a treaty with the Assyrians. God will take care of you. You have to trust him. Trust God. He will deliver the nation if you just trust him. Repent. Turn back to him. Bring the nation back to him. And he will deliver you. And there's all this back and forth. And finally, the king agrees, all right, I'll trust God. He will deliver me. And he did, actually. Um, um, it, it's a really cool story. We're not going to get into it right now. Um, but Isaiah says, now listen. Just ask God for a sign to prove himself. And the king says, I'm not asking for a sign. Like, I don't want to do that. Like, I'm not going to demand a sign. And Isaiah's like, God told me to tell you to ask for a sign. And the king's like, no, 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 I would never do that. I'm not going to ask God for a sign. And really what happened was the king didn't believe it was going to happen. Um, and, and finally, Isaiah says, and this is starting in 13, then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of human? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Um, actually, before we jump on from there, we'll... And so this is one of those weirdly controversial passages in Scripture. Um, in the immediate context, what this probably meant, because sometimes this happens with prophecy, right? Prophecy sometimes has a double application where there's an immediate realization and then much later we see it realized in Christ. Okay, but he says, listen, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a child. And so probably it was the case that there was a young wife of the king who, who was a virgin at the time and, and had a son before Assyria showed up. And, um, or excuse me, um, Assyria was defeated before she had this child. And so this virgin wife of his would have a child. Um, really, in the big picture, the apostles read this and they're like, oh, wow, this is Jesus, Right. This is talking about Jesus. Again, 700 years before he was born. Um, so there will be this sign the Lord will give us that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. Here's the big thing. Emmanuel means God is with us. And the next three chapters of the book are the Emmanuel Discourse, is what they're called by theologians. And it, it's basically a reminder over and over again to Israel or to Judah, God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. In the context, God is with us means God's going to take care of you. Don't worry about those Assyrians. God is going to take care of you. In the bigger picture, as we look back, we realize God was going to be with us. 
like God was going to step into the world and be one of us. He was going to be among us. He was going to be a man like with us. He was going to deliver us from amongst us. It is amazing. Um, He goes on. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. And the Lord will bring on you and on your people and all the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. And he will bring the king of Assyria. Um, So he's saying, listen, there's this time coming. There is this time coming where your enemies will be defeated and the Assyrians will wipe them all out. And they do. Um, And actually, that was the end of the northern kingdom because they were brought away as slaves and they never came back. Um, The remnant of them became the Samaritans in the New Testament, if you want a little bit of trivia there. Um, But he promises, listen, before he's old enough to eat solid food, these guys will be gone. Before he is old enough to, to 13 would be the age, no right from wrong. Um, these people will be gone. Your enemies will be wiped out, and God will deliver your nation. And so that's chapter 7. Our text is actually chapter 9. But all this time, he's making promises about the coming uh, Messiah, about the the coming son. And so here, again, like chapter 9, huge double implication. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Um, So he's saying, listen, no more gloom, no more concern, no more fear, no more worry, no more terror. He's going to bring you out of that time and he'll honor Galilee. By the way, anybody know why Galilee is a big deal? It's more or less where Jesus came from, right? Like... Like, he, he's naming locations now, which is really cool, 700 years in advance, kind of a neat trick. Um, he says, listen, there will be honor in this place. There'll be no more terror. You're not going to worry about the future. In the context, he's talking about this foreign invader, like actually not even foreign invader, their neighbors to the north who are part of their family. Um, he's saying, listen, you are not going to worry about getting killed by these guys anymore. Your distress will be gone, and he's going to raise up these promises. He's going to raise up this part of the, the nation, Galilee. Um, two, the people walking in darkness have received a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Um, this is often called the gospel of the, the Old Testament. Right, like because in the context, the the idea presented here is Israel has run off, Israel has wandered off, Israel has rebelled, and like they've stepped into the darkness, they've stepped away from God, they've stepped away from His grace, they've stepped away from His light, and they live in the darkness. By the way, the Book of John, um, chapter one. If you want to sit down this week, I believe it's in the readings for the week. If you want to sit down and really get the sense of this. Um, John takes this theme and he beats it to death with a stick. Like, um, you know, the light of the world coming into the world, but the men love the darkness and all this. Like, he's talking about this passage. But the text here, like, what's going on here is he's promising, listen, the people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. And to Israel at the time, he's saying, hey, you're going to be saved, you're going to be taken care of. But in reality, we all live in a very dark world, right? 
We all live in a very dark world where people do evil things, where we do live in a dark world where all of us rebel and fall short of God's objectives. We live in a dark world where um, it's easy to lose hope. You know, it's easy to believe that, that um, the only hope that you have is to enjoy today as much as possible um, or defeat these evil political foes that are your neighbors and actually pretty okay people or, um, yeah, or, or have the prettiest wife or be the best-looking guy or own the nicest car or the best new toy or whatever. Like, there's so much of this in our world. We live in such a dark and miserable world, um, but the great light is coming. And the great light is what we celebrate at Christmas. It is the Son of God stepping into our world and bringing the light of God back to us, bringing us out of deep darkness. Um, a lot of times when I read this passage, I think of uh, the story of the shepherds, you know, watching their sheep out in the field by night, like in the darkness, and then the angels show up, and well, it goes from being pitch black Montana countryside to daylight. And a chorus of the heavenly host is up there singing praise to God. And, hey, unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Um, Christ actually quotes this passage at the beginning of his ministry. Uh, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Live, leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is where Peter was from, um, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so as Isaiah is sort of making these predictions about this coming child, right, um, in the context of his kingdom, it was the child that was going to be born before Assyria was beat up or before the neighbors to the north were beat up. But in the context of the greater picture of the scriptures, he's talking about Christ. And like this passage is applied, like Christ is coming. He is going to bring a great light, predicts all this stuff about where he's from, where he'd be born and all these other things. Um, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing plunder. So he's about to dive into this joy thing. Now, we're going to contrast some stuff here. Um, I, I, my wife and I started Christmas shopping for our children, right? And, and I know there's going to be a moment on Christmas morning where it'll be the most important thing in the entire world to open that box with the brand new, I don't know what a kids play with now, hula hoop. I, <laughs> um, <laughs> with brand new math book, you know, whatever it is that we decide to get our children um, that they'll be so happy about. Right, Abby? Um, <laughs> but there'll be this moment where they open it and it'll be so wonderful and exciting and there'll be all this joy of getting a new thing. Um, and that is sort of the idea that we end up growing up with and living with in this culture. There's so much joy to be had in getting new stuff and singing the right songs and eating the right food and going to the right parties. And, oh, my gosh, isn't Christmas wonderful? And when Isaiah talks about joy, what he talks about is um, people rejoice at the harvest. I'm not a farmer, but I'm betting that you watch the rain coming and not coming, and you watch the various plant illnesses coming and not coming, 
or not coming, and you watch, you know, fires and lightning and everything that can possibly happen, and then the day comes that you start rolling your machinery, and you come to the very end, and you start counting out your bushels, and there's probably a moment of joy and relief that happens. Is it true? Wow, we got X number of bushels an acre. Wow, we, because I mean, like, farmers are the ultimate gamblers. I mean, you're sticking stuff in the dirt and hoping something comes back. Um, what Paul, uh, Isaiah is talking about here is this joy of it paid off, God provided. God gave us back what we put in. God took care of us. It rained enough. It, it you know, we were given what we needed. Um, I know I've talked to folks who are overjoyed and filled with joy the moment they got to pull the combine into the barn for the year and walk away from it. Is that about right? Is anyone still awake? Um, (laughs) As a warrior rejoice when dividing the plunder, meaning having won the battle, having risked your life, having, having charged in terrified and like exhilarated, having defeated your enemy, um, taking the just reward that comes with it. Um, I, I can't imagine going from terror to relief like that. Um, I, I watch sometimes uh, old History Channel videos. You ever watch these? Where like in World War II where the American troops are in Berlin and they're like blowing up the Nazi logo on top of the... And they're, you know, people are celebrating the, you know, as the, as the tanks roll through town and they're so overjoyed that we're liberated like in Paris or what have you, like that joy that comes with victory, that joy that comes with re- relief and survival. And like what Isaiah is talking about here, this kind of joy, it's not singing jingle bells, right? It's not putting up pretty lights. Those things feel nice. They're wonderful. They represent something else. But like this joy is deeper than that. It's an abiding, like, right to the core of who you are kind of joy. Um, The story of Christ, the story of the coming of Christ and the salvation that he brings is the story of of joy that comes with the harvest. Having worked so hard and toiled and feared and worried and coming out on top. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you will have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Midian's defeat. If you jump back into the book of Judges, which we're not, or Samuel, which uh, Jeremy will be preaching on next week, or Judges, it's in Judges. Um, in the book of Judges, the story of the Midianites beating up the Israelites. So what would happen is they would get done with harvest and the Midianites would invade for a few weeks and take as much as they could and they would leave. They were like Vikings, right? <laughs> you know, like you see them coming, oh no, hide everything, they're coming, you know, and they would take stuff and they would leave. And they oppressed the nation for about 13 years and then they were defeated by a fellow named Gideon, right? And when Gideon went out to do his fight, he had an army and God said to him, hey, uh, send half your army home. Now send more of them home, and now send more of them home. And eventually, I believe it was like 300 guys, he beat an army of 10,000 enemy soldiers with torches and clay pots. No swords, no clubs, no axes, torches and clay pots. Because And there's this joy that comes with this, like, oh my gosh, these guys who've been bullying us for years and killing our children and robbing us and taking us away as slaves, we defeated them, and we defeated them because God did the job for us. God broke the yoke that burdens us, the bar across our shoulder, the rod of our oppressors. Um, can you imagine that moment? They're gone. We're free. 
because God delivered us. At the time, of course, he's referring to the northern kingdom. He's comparing the victory they'll experience for us. For us, this is victory over our past. This is victory over our sin. This is victory over our our addictions. This is victory over our our sinful desires and our resentment and our bitterness and our our shame and guilt that nothing we do will ever be good enough for for God or the people around us. This idea that like, oh my gosh, I just have to sing loud enough and I'll feel good. Like the burden of oppression that comes with all of this misery, it'll be broken because God will break it. And he'll break it through Christ. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning will be fuel for the fire. Now check this out. Every garment rolled in blood, meaning everything that is equipment for fighting war, will be tossed in the fire and burned away because it won't be needed anymore. There will never be a day that there will be more combat. There will never be a day that there will be more dying and fighting and death because like the brokenness and the evil of the world will be gone. This, of course, again, talking about the northern kingdom, but in Christ we see a new fulfillment. We see the promise of eternity where war will be banished where death will be gone. Now, six is the hinge here. So he describes all of this joy, and then the first word of verse six is for. Meaning, all of this stuff is true because for unto us as a child, a child is born. By the way, this is the same child, a virgin, right? Verse chapter seven. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on, establishing David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the time on. And forever, the zeal of the Almighty will accomplish this. So, real quick, what what he's talking about here is saying: Listen, all of this is true. All of this joy will happen. All of this victory and liberation and peace and grace and forgiveness. The fact that Christ will die for us. All of it is coming because a child is born. Because a virgin is with child. Um, God will give us a son, meaning His son. And the government will be on his shoulder. So the way this works is, this promise, this gift, it requires that he be in charge. Right? Like, I've discovered that when I, when I grab the wheel and do the driving, it's like me driving a combine. <laughs> All over the place. Right? It's, it's not a good sign. It's not a pretty sight. When the wonderful counselor, when the everlasting father, when the prince of peace is in charge, like all of these promises begin to come true. When I look for happiness and joy in the things I can get or the experiences I can have or how I feel in the moment, I'll be empty. But in Christ, I find hope and peace. Like as we celebrate Christmas, the real joy of it, and this is the gospel, right? Like if Christ has died for you, if Christ has saved you, if he has broken the burden and the oppression and the yoke of sin in your life, and he's freed you and, and brought you into the family, made you an adopted member of God's sons, like, like all of these things, then there's joy in that. And so as we celebrate Christmas, as we go out of here, and I know I'm a little long, but I think we started late, so it's Larry's fault. 
Um, <laughs> he owes you all nice Christmas presents this year. <laughs> but as we celebrate Christmas, as we try and, like, navigate this time of, like, be joyful or else, right? You know, find ways to get the perfect gifts or you ruin your kid's childhood and all this other nonsense. Like, understand what we're really celebrating. What really brings joy is the gospel message. It is the story of Christ coming. We're free because Christ came. Our enemy, sin, death, and the devil, like gone, broken, crushed. We have hope for eternity. This uh, is the first Sunday of the month. I'm going to call my guys forward. On the first Sunday of the month, we celebrate communion. And as we remember that God has sent his son, God has sent a wonderful counselor, God has sent a prince of peace, he has sent, he has sent a savior for us. Um, we're going to be celebrating communion. Um, this week I have large loaves of bread. Tear off a piece from the middle. Um, I apparently said that wrong last time and made it a lot more difficult than it needed to be. Um, on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took his bread. And he took it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this and eat it. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we celebrate Christ coming, we celebrate this. We celebrate his body broken. We celebrate him bearing the weight of our guilt on his back. Wonderful counselor. Breaker of the yoke of our sin. And as you take the bread today, um, bring your heart and your mind into a place where you're repenting, where you're acknowledging, I belong to Jesus today. Tear it back up.